Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. I just want to let listeners know that we are on take three of getting this far, <laughs> just this far into the podcast before we get yeah. going. So, uh, you know, buckle in. It's going to be a, a long and lengthy ride. <laughs> Uh, we are reviewing this week In the House, In the Dark of the Woods, which is by Laird. I think I'm saying that right. Hunt. Laird Hunt. Um, I want to thank the fine folks at Brown Little and Company for sending us a review copy. We're a little late on uh, on getting to this one as it did come out in mid-October. But uh, nonetheless, we are reviewing it tonight. And uh, this... <laughs> This is going to be this is going to be a really short review with probably a really long spoiler talk, um, and uh, I also have something else before we even get into this. Can I tell you? I want to do something a little different. You already are going to do something else a little different. <laughs> All right, what's up? Normally, we wait until the end to talk about Amazon reviews, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like to circle back to an Amazon review I saw for this before I read the book. Uh-huh. And I think the summation is, uh, or the 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 whatever the title line mm-hmm. is a perfect summation for how I feel about this podcast. <laughs> uh, Jessica Sullivan, who is a top one thousand reviewer on Amazon, uh, gave this book one star, not necessarily agreeing with that part, but she said, "I have no idea what I just read." That's kind of how I feel about this book, if I'm being honest. She ever now. This is. I'm not saying this is about Jessica Sullivan. That's her name, right? Jessica Sullivan. Uh huh. But do you ever like read something like that and think, well, what if this person's just dumb and they don't understand anything? Like it's a possibility I, that like just because they say they don't understand doesn't mean that they have the capacity to understand. Yeah, I agree with you. And no, I'm not saying that about her. She has a top <laughs> one thousand reviewer. She does have one paragraph kind of talking about obscure fiction and stuff. I I totally get what she's right. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this book is is kind of a mind fuck. Would <laughs> Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, and and I would. It, it's funny because everything that you've said so far about what's coming, I've thought today like, oh, this is going to be a short review and a huge spoiler talk. And uh, what is <laughs> what is the message I sent you earlier? Uh, this will be an interesting review, I think. Is <laughs> yeah, something along yeah. those lines. And yeah, yeah, I think you're right. At any rate, let's give you a little bit about Laird Hunt. He is the author of The Evening Road. His previous novel, Never Home, was a New York Times book review editor's choice selection, an Indie Next selection, winner of the Grand Prix de Literature Americaine, and the Bridge Prize, and a finalist for the Prix Femina Entragere. A resident of Boulder, Colorado, he is on the faculty in the creative writing PhD program at the University of Denver. Pause right there. It's an outdated, he... right? It's outdated. No, this is this is current. I was on his Wikipedia. That's his current thing. But uh, if it's in if it's in Boulder, I think he works with Stephen Graham Jones. He could because Stephen Graham Jones works for the University of Colorado Boulder, mm-hmm. and he definitely works in an, in the English program i don't know if it's phd program but could be this guy might yeah. be connected to some other people um that we've uh, had on this podcast that i mean he could have influenced him to have a wolf on the cover because we know about jones and his 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 like little wolf fetish he's got going on his little wolf <laughs> fetish he has going on wow all right uh, Rob, would you like to read the synopsis? All right. This is not a short synopsis, and I'm always terrible at reading them. So just uh, apologies in advance. We've already been – we're not actually on the rails yet. So um, this is probably the best. It's for the best. The eerie, disturbing story of our – I'm going to skip this part. Once upon a time, there was and there wasn't a woman who went to the woods. In this horror story set in colonial New England, a law-abiding Puritan woman goes missing. Or perhaps she has fled or abandoned her family. Or perhaps she's been kidnapped and set loose to wander in the dense woods of the north. Alone and possibly lost, she meets another woman in the forest. Then everything changes. On a journey that will take her through dark woods, full of almost human wolves, through a deep well, wet with the screams of men, and on a living ship made of human bones, our heroine may find that the evil she flees has been inside her all along. In the House in the Dark of the Woods is a novel of psychological horror and suspense told in Laird Hunt's characteristically lyrical prose style. It is the story of a bewitching, a betrayal, a master huntress, and her quarry. It is a story of anger, of evil, of hatred, and of redemption. 
It is the story of a haunting, a story that makes up the bedrock of American mythology, but told in a vivid way you will never forget. If a lot of that doesn't make any sense to you, it's not Rob's delivery. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, credit, talked... credit where credit's due. Uh, it's a confusing book, and I think they really leaned into that with the synopsis. Like, <laughs> they're they're not... They're not tricking you into thinking this is going to be easy to read. Right. Oddly enough, the synopsis makes more sense after you've read the book. <laughs> it really does. Because um, so, again, this was sent to us. I mean, it was uh, it was blurred by Brian Evanson. I mean, it didn't take a lot for us to decide on, on doing this book. So I didn't read the synopsis. Had I read the synopsis, I may have said, man, maybe we should just skip this goddamn book. But after reading the book and hearing Rob read the synopsis, I'm like, huh. Yeah. 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 You know what? This is pretty goddamn accurate. <laughs> so, but unfortunately, Little Brown and Company, this is not, you don't write a synopsis so that people love and get the synopsis that it draws them in after they've read the book, I guess. Yeah. We recently, what did we review recently? I thought the synopsis was great. Is it Alice Isn't Dead? The synopsis was fantastic. Yeah. Um, this one, not yeah, so yeah, much yeah. From, from reading it ahead of the book, I would say. I guess it depends on like, uh, I don't know. Like, I think this is kind of like a hold my beer synopsis where it's like you, like, it's almost kind of challenging you to like, not be interested in it. So there's going to be that type of person that's like, well, it's a challenge. I'm down. And then they go for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But again, I don't know if that's how you want to sell a book. I mean, like, I get what you're yeah. saying. I just think that you're kind of, I don't know. Uh, let me put it this way. Had I picked this up in a bookstore back when I used to go to bookstores eight, nine years ago, I, I probably would have put it back on the shelf. All right. I just had the best idea in the entire history of the podcast. Oh, this should be. Is this better than the hot seat? It, nothing's going <laughs> to. Uh, we, if we, so we prepare before we start recording uh, a review, um, our own synopsis of the book. And compare it to the synopsis that was actually published. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> That's not a bad idea at all. I kind of like that idea. We just the only the biggest problem is we have to remember to do it. Well, yeah. So I didn't think this was actually ever going to happen. Much like all the other no, great I pie shows. We never made pie shows to sell, right? We never yeah. did the hot seat. Our spinoff podcast, 100 Happy Days. I was just going to say, I couldn't yeah. remember what it was called. Had the Happy Days podcast never happened. I mean, we've had some great ideas. And we've never moved on any of them. At any rate, That's we're going to move into a review of this book. So, despite what the synopsis says, uh, this book starts off with a woman who is a wife and a mother. Um, she's referred to, and I'm not going to try to explain all this. We're going to call her Goody, G-O-O-D-Y, for the length of this review um, for simplicity's sake, it's what other people call her in the book, although it's not her name. So she does set off to collect uh, some berries to bring back and uh, and make a special treat for her husband and her son. And through a course of events, she winds up becoming lost in the woods. Now, it bears mentioning that from the very beginning of the book, uh, the woman seemed simple. Um. Now, the book is set in colonial America, so it's, what, like, post-Revolutionary War or, like, pre- or, like, right around the time of the Revolutionary War, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, I mean, people have guns, so... Yeah, and they're wearing those red coats, so yep. maybe it's during the Revolutionary... Anyway, not a historian. Um, she seems simple in a way that I couldn't just reconcile with the fact that this is, like, old-timey shit going on. Like, she seems, like... uh. A little bit childlike in the way that she's the book is is written in in, in uh, the first person as if she's talking to us, as if she's telling us a story. And so she's just explaining to us that she decided to it would be great to get, you know, to go pick some fresh berries to do it, to make a treat for her. She says, my man and my boy, I think is what she says, or my man and my son. Um, and, and just the way that she seems quite oblivious to the like the realities of of the world like uh at one point she uh comes in contact with a like a native american uh they call him first folk um and he's obviously displeased with her being in what i'm assuming is is supposed to be like strictly 
native land. And she's picking all the signals up. Like he's making a frowny face and he's pointing at her to go away. And she just kind of like half naive, half arrogantly like says there's enough for everybody or something like that. And it's just very, there's a simplicity to the way that she, she carries herself in the world as if she doesn't really fully understand how it works or the dangers in there. Would you agree with that? Um, sort of. So yes, she is very simple and I agree with that. Um, I actually got the idea that the, the, the man that she encounters was warning her more than more scolding than her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which does turn out to be the case, I guess I should say. And we're going to talk a little bit about <laughs> yeah. I don't know how far we're going to go into the story, but I did get that distinct feeling that he was warning her off and not, um, you know, threatening her or getting her to just like leave his area. But yeah, she is very simple. Um, you know, we don't, she never really mentions her husband or child by name. She does just talk about the simple life that she leads and that they have, a. Uh, you know, she was promised a lot of things by her husband. They didn't come to be delivered, like living in a in a big house and stuff that they live very simply. And you can tell that there's a time frame thing because her husband is kind of a dick to her. Um, you don't uh, you don't get the feeling there's a lot of love there. There's a lot of uh, him drunkenly kissing her if she wants it or not, you know, that kind of thing. So it does seem like kind of like your old school country bumpkin, like your typical boorish man of the house kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is and, and, and you know, I, I don't know how often I think about colonial life, but it is typically depicted that way by and large, even if you have a heroine that's smarter than the other women or a guy who's yeah. more gallant than the rest of them. Usually the, they're like the supporting cast in a colonial uh, movie that you would watch. Right. Yeah. Yep. Now, things go off the rails for uh, for Goody almost immediately it's within so basically she wanders off to get some berries uh and like gets it and i don't know if i i want to i want to get your take on this there's a part where she takes her shoes off to like walk in the stream and then she steps on something that like pokes her foot and and soon after gets really sleepy and i don't know if she was supposed to get sleepy because of the thing that poked her foot or if that was just coincidental but what do you think about that? I really didn't give it any thought. Um, well, I was trying to like people don't just suddenly become sleepy and go lay down by a tree. So, right. so there's, I, I felt like something caused it. And I feel like it was this weird transition between the innocent way that, you know, we're kind of intended to interpret the story at first versus the more supernatural way we're intended to kind of realize after the fact and I feel like this might be that transition point a little bit, but the poking her foot seemed if like it's that like if I don't know if if you said it, there's got to be a reason for it, and maybe I just thought too much about it. Yeah, I guess you know in hindsight, you know you're right. <laughs> you know now that I've read the rest of the story, <laughs> I just yeah I'm not sure at the time that I gave it a whole lot of thought. You yeah. know what I mean? But yeah, it's now that you matter, say it, yeah. sure, it's after the fact. Yeah, we can look back and and kind of guess that that's where it is. So um, clearly, she becomes panicked. She wakes up. She's uh, you know it's nighttime. She has no idea where she is. As you might imagine, this is uh, this is uh, troublesome for for anybody. Um, and pretty soon thereafter, she encounters Captain Jane. Who is just doing her thing, going through the forest, wearing her coat made of wolf's fur, like a cloak. Um, who says, oh, no, I, I know I can take you somewhere and have somebody help you um, and, and, and put you on the mend and help you get home. I'm going to take you to Eliza, who lives just down this hill or whatever in reference to this. So we're introduced to um, Eliza. Eliza <laughs> lives by herself in the house in the dark of the woods. Um, but she's got a pretty sweet deal going. She's got a garden. She's got some pigs and a cow and stuff. So uh, everything seems to be pretty well. And um, Goody goes into her care for a period of time. Yeah. So the conceit around her needing to be taken care of is that she is uh, in her crazy panicked run through the woods in the middle of the night where she got lost. She fucked up her feet pretty seriously and can't walk. And so she needs to kind of like rest and recover. And so... Um, Thankfully, Eliza is there with like a, just a bounty of herbs and um, and stuff like that and helps her heal. And um, it seems kind of perfect. Like it's, she's super nice, super welcoming and friendly. And 
um, and chummy and, and stuff like that. And, and at the outset of this little kind of, you know, rest period where she's, you know, Goody's trying to heal up so she can get back to her family. She could not have found a better house, a better house to, uh, to, to recover in because Eliza is like the perfect host and super nice and, and interesting and stuff like that. So over the course of undisclosed number of days, um, as Rob had said, everything's going really well, but we start to see a little bit of depth to Eliza. Um, you know, some things that just don't add up properly. Some things that she teaches um, Goody or shows Goody that are outside the realm of at least somebody as simple as her, if not even out of the realm of, you know, what the, the reader is uh, is seeing or feeling. And this is where we're going to get super vague, right? Like we <laughs> I don't know where to go. The, the story is about. Yeah. Um, Goody and and Eliza and their relationship. Um, there are some things in the well, no, because you didn't read that first part. There's not a lot in the synopsis. Then we skipped the first part of the synopsis that talks about what kind of story it is. But I guess if anybody else is reading it, um, I guess this would be a good time, right? The eerie, disturbing story of one of our perennial fascinations: witchcraft in colonial America, wrapped up in a lyrical novel of psychological suspense. So we did this. We we kind of did the synopsis reading the way that the book plays out. Yeah, in a, in a yeah. fucked up order. So uh, we're yeah. Eliza <laughs> may or may not be a witch. I guess could be a witchy woman. Um, yeah, and so uh, I guess from here it's it's the story progresses on. Obviously, when Goody arrives to to kind of get help from Eliza, her whole purpose is. I need to get back to my family. Um, and so the story progresses kind of toward how does that happen? Um, there's a couple other characters that haven't been mentioned yet. Um, there's a little girl named Hope. Um, we find out her name later in the book, but she kind of just pops up um, throughout the story, seemingly at specific kind of situations. won't talk too much about that. There's also a character named Granny Someone. Because that's not creepy. Not creepy at all. Yeah. Uh, who is just this old woman who, uh, again, just arrives at certain points in the plot to uh, to do a, a very specific thing. Uh, yeah. There's <laughs> not a lot more we can say without spoiling. Like, the majority of this story is, uh, it relies on twists and reveals. And we're at the point where, like, the reveals will start to spoil. One of the other things the book spends a lot of time doing is giving us backstory on um, on Goody. So, I mean, we get a little bit of backstory on, like, Eliza through, like, things she says. But we really revisit Goody's um, childhood, her relationship with her mother and her father, um, her, uh, you know, transitioning from that relationship to, to the relationship between her and her husband. We get some glimpses into her daily, um, you know, life with, with her, her husband, her man, and her boy. So it's not all there, but a lot of that, um, you know, correlates to what's going on in the story at the time. Yeah. So there, there are a couple of fundamental things that are f- kind of flashbacky um, to uh, Goody's childhood with her father going out and encountering creepy dude and stuff like that, um, that play a bigger part in the story later on. Yeah. Yeah. With that. <laughs> I said it's going to be a really short um, <laughs> book review. That's the trouble, man. Like some of these, and this is why spoiler talk is is um, is great for me, and 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 perhaps for you if you're a Patreon um, subscriber and you listen, is that they're just these books. Like I, I would, I don't even know how to recommend this. This is the kind of book. Like if I recommended it to somebody, I'd be like, look, man, just trust me on this. It's colonial. Um, it's a little slow at first. It's it's really wordy. Um, it parts. Um, but just just trust me. Just trust me on this. You just got to read it because there's no way to really tell somebody what this is about and give the book a fair shake while um, allowing yeah. people to discover the story on their own. And it's it's tough to stretch this out for more than 10 minutes, 12 minutes. Right. Where Rob and I have given you 20 percent of the book, maybe mm-hmm. if that um, and, and the next 80 percent of the book is is got to be, you know, buried under paywalls and shit for people who want who want to know about <laughs> oh it oh my like god that, we're yeah, paywalling people i didn't even think uh, of that i mean essentially right i mean that's because that's where the rest of the discussion has to happen i guess one thing that I, I i would like to approach is that uh i don't know if i saw it on amazon or, or somewhere but 
this is, you know, considered a horror book. And I don't know if we mentioned that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of categorized as a horror book. And it does mention in the synopsis witchcraft. Um, it doesn't mention American mythology. It isn't a colonial time. So, like, there, there there's it's a good place setting for really creepy stuff to happen. Uh, there's a character named Granny Someone. That's never going to be a good thing. So <laughs> there's, like, plenty of creepy scary stuff going on it does get a little graphic at times and um i like the word that keeps popping up in my head is like folklore because it's got like a very folklore kind of feel to it would you agree yeah and uh, i'll expand on that a little bit i think that some of the characters in this book individually would be the stories your your grandma told you about to keep you from going in the woods yeah, hundred percent. So, Granny, yeah. someone, even Captain Jane, Eliza, would be the cautionary tales of, you know, be careful, little Robbie. If you go too close to the trees, you could run into Granny, someone, and Granny, someone is blah 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 blah. So, as <laughs> a whole, behind. Granny, someone yeah. is behind the paywall. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, as as a story, it's it's I think it's uh, very complex for folklore. But on an individual basis, these would be the the stories that that you tell kids around a campfire or to keep them from wandering off too far from the from the little stone house you live in. Yeah. Do you want to just kick it over to spoiler spoiler talk? All right, paywall talk over at Patreon.com/booked. <laughs> Um, for only a dollar a month, you can hear, and this, I know, like, this is totally like clickbait. I'm not clickbaiting this. I'm really not. It's, I get the feeling Rob and I are going to dive into some things. I think we're going to convince um, each other of things. Uh, we do that over there so that we don't spoil a book that you might want to read. Um, we also do it so that Rob can keep the lights on at the podcast studio. That's not really why, right? I was going to say, like, so Rob can have an excuse to accidentally pay for services we don't use anymore. That also that. So yeah, we'll talk about that a little later and why we need everyone to up their contribution. Um, to, so at any rate, we're going to head over and do spoiler talk and we'll be right back. All right. We are back from a lengthy spoiler talk. As we predicted, we had a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, I think we may have cleared up some stuff, uh, may muddied some more waters, like more muddied than we than uh, maybe they were before we started talking about it. Um, but it was an interesting conversation. And if you uh, have read the book, uh, please listen to that. Uh, and, and we'd love to have a conversation to kind of continue this conversation because it's a very interesting and complex thing to, to, to kind of consider. So um, this is definitely one of those books where it can be a live conversation with anybody who has read it. Um, yeah, big, big stuff happening. I am not sure that it was not Laird Hunt's um, plan that conversations about this only muddy the waters more. That's the kind of book this is. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't. Even though there is a a good portion of the story is is revealed in a pretty clean way. If you start thinking too much about it, I don't want to say that that falls apart. It's just that it introduces new questions to which I'm not sure there are answers. Um, right. You know, uh, as I've been told before, even maybe in the author's mind, which is still bullshit. He knows exactly what all that shit meant. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, we're going to move into wrap ups, right? I don't think there's a lot else for us to talk about. It's wrap up time. All right. I'm going to go first this time. Cool. Uh, this book is uh, is by its page count, by its size. I have the physical book is a not very big book. But it is packed pretty densely with uh, with words. Um, and I'll be honest with you, the first couple chapters did not go well for me. I was not feeling this book at all. I thought, first of all, I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before because I think Rob was just perplexed when I say things like, I don't like books that take place in the outdoors. Do you remember me saying that to you before? <laughs> Wait. Have I not said this to you before? Uh, I feel like I know this. If I no, didn't, no, no, this, this conversation goes down. Yeah. I do. I do know that you have said that. You, but you've said some weird stuff. Yeah, like books that take place in the wilderness just bother me, and I don't. I don't know what it is. I, it just—it's an immediate turnoff. Um, and then this one started out really dense with a simple woman getting lost in the forest while looking for berries, and I was thinking, just fuck my life, man. Why? Why are we doing this? Um, but we get introduced to some other characters, and I, I think once the Eliza 
goody relationship starts to develop is when this really grabbed me. And then it, it, it held on. It held on strong all the way till the end of the book. Um, there is a, a, a good number of supernatural things that occur. Some of them um, probably even a little too fantastical for this book, in my opinion. Um, but there's some really great stuff that happens, too. Um, Rob and I talked in spoiler talk about how not only is it supernatural, but there are some like fantasy elements um, I know we talked about folklore here and 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 children's uh, you know uh, cautionary tales. You tell your kids to keep them in line, and all those things are present and done in a really really good way. Um, there's a couple open threads. There's a couple things Rob and I either couldn't agree on or couldn't come to conclusions on. And you know what? In the in the in the course of this book, I'm perfectly okay with it because the big story is there and it's intact. And God damn it, it's pretty scary. Um, I really, really enjoyed this book, and I'm going to give it four and a half stars. I could not be more surprised. Like there, so <laughs> a hallmark of a book that Livius doesn't like is um, uh, making you work for it a little bit. Would you agree, or am I am I being a little no, harsh? No, no, I, I wouldn't agree with that. Um, <laughs> I just think that this this made you work for it a little bit, but was very rewarding. Oh, okay. Um, so when you, you got, do you understand yeah, yeah. what I'm saying? Like, there's books that can make you work for stuff and then just leave things super ambiguous and whatever, and that's not that's not really my thing. I didn't mind that the book was hard and complex because I think that he delivered enough of an explanation. Um, and, and we didn't talk about this a lot during the, the actual review. We talked about it a little bit in spoiler talk where things from earlier come back to make a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think that there's a talent that you have to have to do that. I recently watched an episode of, uh, of Doctor Who, not to get too far off the subject, um, but it was it was time travel done right, which that show has lost scope of over the last few years, in my opinion. But where there are things introduced at the beginning that are then explained like, you know, they're kind of significant, but then at the end when they're explained, they take on a much, much bigger significance. Mm. And I think when that's done properly, not that this is a time travel story, but um, it, it's written in that similar kind of way that the things you read before, like when you talked about her um, getting sleepy after getting stabbed in the foot and stuff, you know, it didn't occur to me that that was actually like a plot device. But after reading the rest of the book, I'm pretty certain it was a plot device. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like like that kind of stuff. I think yeah. I think it was just done really well. Um, well, Livius's uh, wrap up very much represents everything I felt about the book, too. So I'm not going to uh, I'm going to do my best not to repeat stuff that he said. But um, one of the uh, kind of overarching things that I think about the story that I think was great was that in general, it has a very strong internal logic to it. Um which if you listen to our spoiler conversation will make more sense than if you uh, have not. But the story has a very strong kind of um, internal logic and set of rules and stuff that it, that it follows and it emphasizes um, in a way where uh, when you're unaware, you see it and you, and you, and you understand that something's happening. Uh, and, and it's when the entire story is revealed that you get kind of the internal logic of things Um but it does a good job being a foundation for helping you through what could be considered very confusing and nonsensical and um, just unclear. And I believe that, in it, you know, an intention of the story is to, like, take you in a certain direction, possibly misleadingly. Um, there's definitely reveals that will, will turn you in a way that you didn't expect and um, and twists and stuff like that. And so... Uh, it was all just executed. Uh, I think very intricately, um, like a puzzle or like the machinations of a of a clock or something like that. Like there's a lot of moving parts that have to work together in order for the story to be satisfying, and the dude makes it happen um, in a creepy setting with um, a lot of unsure things going on. And it's the type of story that makes you have to just go along with it, whether you like it or not, and just deal with whatever comes. And I love those types of stories because there's no safety net. You're just kind of out there and whatever hits, hits, and you have no control over it. Um, but it, it was it was very, very well executed, and I think it paid off greatly. 
even if we're still a little bit confused at the end of reading it, and even <laughs> even if we're confused after talking about it, um, the story is very satisfying for all the reasons that Livia said. So uh, I'm going to go straight up. Uh, I'm going to go for four, four and a half stars. It's a little bit ahead of the average Amazon review, including that. <laughs> I still, <laughs> what the fuck did I just read? Is I still find to be a very... Valid. Um, yeah, I'm not, you know, I started that way and I don't want you to think I changed my mind. I still kind of like, not sure what, yeah, what, what happened there? Um, it's funny cause, uh, through the course of this, um, review, I, I looked a little bit at some of his other books and this seems to be, um, of the, the three that I looked at in total, the only one that has like the supernatural, they all seem to be like period pieces. Yeah. Um, but this is the one that's, uh, off the fucking rails. Now I do want to read, um, JMG's review. Uh, because I think it's so wrong and, and, um, I don't like, I don't know, I guess maybe not having read me if I read the synopsis, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. Don't fall for it. This is a two star review. I was taken in by the descriptions of this little book and feel a bit ripped off while the writing is lovely. The story is lacking, lacking. And then this in quotation marks, suspense, lacking in quotation marks, psychological horror, lacking. In fact, any substance, Mr. Hunt apparently is attempting an artsy highbrow version of a colonial America witchcraft story, but less art and more story would make for a more entertaining couple of hours. I didn't see the art stuff that he's talking about. And I saw a lot of story and I don't, yeah. like I, I'm just a little, I'm a little confused. Um, there is another two star review by Carol. Strange, confusing read, strange read, confusing narrative, difficult to find a focal point or become interested in a character or direction, a plot, almost called it quits a couple times, gave it my all through, though rereading pages and chapters because of BC of enticing book summary, because of enticing book summary, depicting witchcraft in colonial New England, but a no-go in a long 224 pages for me, honestly, no clue I was even in colonial America. Yeah, um... Yeah, the book could have been set anywhere in any country at any time, um, with the exception of the soldiers that are mentioned. Um, uh, at one point, there, there really isn't a lot of um, direction. The, this could have been in the woods of Hungary, um, just as much as in the woods of the United States. So, I mean, I kind of get that, but I, I guess that's the difference. I also found it a strange and somewhat confusing read, um, sometimes difficult to find a focal point. <laughs> It is a long 224 pages, but you know that I, I still give that more than double the score that this woman did with, with essentially almost essentially the same review. If you think about it. <laughs> well, yeah. And I guess that's it. Like some people appreciate that approach to writing and others won't. Um, this woman apparently did not care for, for it. I, I, I mean, there was just for me so much going on so much interesting stuff and so much like I just wanted to see like there's a point you reach a point at the book where enough fucking confusing things happen that you're like I just want to know how this plays out so for me that was the hook was just like what the hell is going on with these crazy bitches in the woods See, now (laughs) you talked about us doing synopses maybe we should be titling books too because I think that what's up with all these crazy bitches in the woods is a better title for this book. And and think about it. it. Think about how many more people would pick up that book if they said, this fucking book's got a picture of a wolf on the cover and it's called What's Up With All These Crazy Bitches in the Woods. And if we wrote a, a more enticing synopsis, we could sell more books. Oh my God, yeah. And then I bet you those, those two-star reviews you've been reading, four or five stars. Exactly. W- without changing a word in the book. So if you own a publishing company and you want to pay us a lot of money to clean up some of these little problems for you, like book titles and the book synopsis, author bios, we're available, man. We yeah. will do this for you for a, for a price uh, yet to be determined. For a handsome fee. Mm-hmm. Isn't that how it goes? Anyway. Uh, any more Amazon uh, shenanigans no, here? No, the rest of them are mostly good reviews. I mean, it's only got 18 reviews. You have three um, that are two or less stars, and the rest of them are, you know, three, four, and five. Um, nothing that really jumped out at me out of there. So one thing I want to point out, I noticed, we noticed, you, you and I both noticed, one of the blurbs is by Brian Evanson, who we have mentioned. We've interviewed him twice. We've reviewed 
uh, at least three of his his works, right? Three or four. Um, um yeah, yeah, three, I think. But yeah, yeah. And well, no, because he also did um, the novelization of the Lords of Salem. So I, yeah, I think it might be four. Yeah, because we did that collapse of horses. We did the Lords of Salem thing. We did that Warren. Mm-hmm. And you didn't like the sci-fi one. Yeah, um, he was in the Warmed and Bound mm-hmm. book. So that's at least four things. Anyway, Ivan's is all over this. Oh wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, and the didn't he do the thing with um, Paul Tremblay at the beginning of the year? Yes, that's the other one yeah. I was thinking of. Yep. Um, yeah, and and uh, he blurbs this book, and through a, a, just the mi- most minor amount of research, I discovered that at one point Laird Hunt taught and maybe still does actually teach courses at Brown University where Brian Evanson was the head of something until he moved out to California. So um, not only is he is he is Laird Hunt now in Colorado, in my mind, hanging out like at a taco place with Stephen Graham Jones all the time. Uh, he used to work work with and pal around, I'm guessing, with Brian Evanson over in Brown University. Those are some nice elbows to be rubbing. You know what I'm saying? They are for sure. Um, and then for all we know, he doesn't really know any of these people. And well, don't, don't spoil the, the fantasy <laughs> I, in my mind. I know this power trio of people now. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say something super, super spoiler. Yeah. That's, that's what's going to happen. All right. Are we done? Are we putting this one to bed? I have something else I want to mention to bed. It's, it's tucked in, uh, the nightlights on, on it's a pallet. Yeah. In a it's, house, it's cha- it's it's tight in the, the dark, yeah. in the woods. Hey, so earlier, um, uh, Misty Bennett was sending over her uh, a list of books that we could be reviewing um, for her pick for book of the year as being a top Patreon contributor, and she had asked about "Let the Right One In," um, which is by John Ashvide Lindqvist. I don't yeah, know if I'm guy. saying any of that right. Yeah. Dude, he had a new book sneak past us last oh, month. Oh, no. Seriously? October 16th, 2018. So I think, oh. and it's a little longer one. So I think we're going to try to get this one in by the end of the year. Because um, you've never read any of his stuff, correct? I read about half of Let the Right One In and then something something stopped. I loved what I had read so far, but something mm-hmm. something interrupted it and I never got back to it. Yeah. Um, I read two of his books. Um, Let the Right One In was much better. But he has a book out called I Am Behind You. I just, um, I just looked behind myself. Yeah, and uh, I'm thinking, this sounds really fucking weird, but I'm thinking we should try to give this one a shot um, uh, for a book before we get to the end of the year. Um, But that being said, we do have Misty's pick for uh, for our next book. Rob, share with the listeners what we're going to be reviewing, not next week, but the following week. I'm pulling it off my shelf right now. All right. Uh, The publisher is McAdam Cage. The year... 2006 the author Stephen Graham Jones Demon Theory uh an early work by Stephen Graham Jones I believe one of his like one of his first few am I right I believe so yes and, um now yeah. listeners might be interested some people are like how the fuck have you guys not read Demon Theory well we didn't read Demon Theory and we didn't read all the beautiful sinners and I think there's another one we didn't read cuz we got into the game a little late yeah we did so Misty is giving us a chance to right a wrong. Now we're going to be reading this very interestingly. McAdam Cage is out of business um, and has been for many years. So there are no new print copies. Um, I could get a physical copy, but probably not in time for this review. So I'm going to read it the way that most people are likely to read this if they listen to the review, which is a Kindle version. Now, normally I don't make a big deal about this, but there is a, an interesting um, and rare, rare, I would say, in fiction um, feature of this book. That looks like it might hurt my reading experience. Rob, would yeah. you care to share with the listeners as you thumb through your book what you see? Yeah, I, I don't know if you can hear the the pages. Oh, I can hear them. All right. Uh, so the book is just very consistently riddled with footnotes um, throughout in a very David Foster Wallace way where like some pages, three quarters of the page is footnote. So it's heavily footnoted. Um, and from what I understand there, um, in, in the, in the lifetime of demon theory, the book I have, which was given to me by, um, Jesse Lawrence, who is, is one of our <clears throat> holiday permanent staff. 
Uh, I have the right copy, which is the one that has um, footnotes consistent with the pages that they relate to. There, I believe, was another print copy where all of the footnotes were pushed to the back of the book. And basically, when you saw a footnote, you had to flip back to the back of the book, find the footnote, read it, go back to the page you're on. <clears throat> so uh, there's been some shenanigans with footnotes. And from what I understand, Livius, you were saying that it doesn't look so good for the digital footnoting. I read a review. Um, now, I, I was going to try to read this on my Kindle, and then it occurred to me that maybe I'll have better luck on the iPad because the Kindle app is a different creature on the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, where the only way to get those footnotes is to search for the number of the footnote. <laughs> oh, God. Um, let me tell you exactly how often that's going to happen if that's the case. Zero None. times. Yeah. Zero times. I will be reading the Sans footnotes if that is the case. Um, I wanted to read the whole thing, but just to get this done in time, it was going to take up to six business days. I know you guys are hearing this like probably the day before Thanksgiving or whatever. It just wasn't realistic for me to get that done in the right amount of time. So I opted um, for the um, Kindle version. And, and quite honestly, unless you want to order a used book, if you hear our review and want to read it, that's going to be the easiest way for you to do it. Not to mention, it was like three bucks, which is ridiculously cheap for a Kindle book, which more and more um, costs more than paperbacks and in some cases on hardcovers. So um, we'll see how this goes. But I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I have yet to be let down by Stephen Graham Jones. Um, I still think that The Cyclist is one of the best novellas. The Night Cyclist? Night, Night Cyclist. Cyclist, yeah. It's one of the best novellas I've read. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to, to getting into this, although I do understand it might be a hot mess in digital format. Man, I was just looking at my bookshelf the other day for some reason. Um, it, not that I need a reason. Um, and I was looking at some of the titles of, of his that we've reviewed over the years. And I'm like, oh, man, what I wouldn't give to just go back and read Zombie Bake Off. Or because it's such a fun, clever, Mm -hmm. like turn on zombies. And, you know, uh, not Lisa, my scars, of course, but like the last final girl, like from where I was when I read that book to where I am now, uh, with my understanding of like the genre of horror and everything, I'd love to revisit that just to see like how much did he approach in the slasher genre that I wasn't aware of that I am now. Like, I, I, I just wish I could go back and read all of his stuff again. So if this podcast ever gets like shut down by the FCC or something, I know the first thing I'm going to do is just reread some Stephen Graham Jones. That's yeah, weird. He's all over the board with stuff he writes. That's the, the kind of yeah. interesting parts. Even the ones you mentioned, they're just in completely different, like, like genres. So yeah. um, we'll see where demon theory falls into that. Um, Rob, Thanksgiving in a couple days, man, do you have anything you're thankful for? All right, I'm going to tell you, there was this part of, all right, so I was at work today, and, uh, like, there was, like, the the morning meeting kind of thing going on, and uh, where I sit at my desk is close enough to where these meetings take place that I don't have to go out and join them, because I can just hear everything that's going on. So I didn't, I didn't join them, I just kind of stayed at my desk, and, and, like, one of the final things of the conversation was going around the whole group and asking what you're thankful for. Oh, and in my mind the whole time I'm like I am just thankful that I don't have to contribute to this because <laughs> like, <laughs> I fucking uh, I mean I get it. it it's a nice thing to do but I was I was just thinking it made me think like I don't have a specific thing I'm very thankful for right now and I don't want that to sound sad like everything in life is good but it's not like oh man I'm really glad, glad this is going on it's just life is life is fine so I'm in this kind of weird like moment where nothing is good enough for me to be like, holy shit, super grateful for this. What about you? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm never grateful for anything, so I'm glad that there's no pressure for me to come up with something. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm grateful that we're still doing the podcast, that this is our um, eighth Thanksgiving that we're doing the podcast, right? Uh, be our eighth or seventh. Yeah, it's eighth. I, I just yeah. do. I had to count on my fingers. Like that's all right. Yeah, 2011, so 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Der, yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm just still glad that we're doing this. I'm. I'm thankful that we have exceeded. But God, we're going to exceed by nearly double. Um. Last year's output for for reading uh, books for the podcast. So I mean, I'm happy about that. Thankful let's, for let's, that. Let's pause on that for a second because I was doing the math. Um, key page count for 2018 so far, including the book we just reviewed. 9,576 
pages. Boom. Uh, 2017 was 5,312. Mm-hmm. And 2016 was the 5,854. So theoretically, it's possible that we could hit the point where we add up 2016 and 2017. And that's the same as 2018. That could happen. Let's do it, man. This next book's 440 pages. So yeah, that's going to get, get us to 10K. We got to get to like 11,066 or something like that. So I think, I think we can do it. I think we can do that. And I would be thankful for that. And I want. All right. So because we're being thankful. Livius, you went and you like, uh, you did the obvious thing, which would be to just to be thankful for the podcast and the listeners and all that sappy. Livius is the one that has a heart. Obvious. If we haven't demonstrated that before, we absolutely did just now. I do want to actually thank some people, uh, Jr. and Diana, longtime friends of ours um, and friends of the podcast, who sent uh, some amazing beers from California. In a way that's totally not illegal. Um, that and, and so they, it's kind of their fault. They introduced me to this beer. I fell in love with it, and now they feel obligated to send it to me. Um, so, but thank, thanks to both of you for being so thoughtful and sending that to me. And I'm amassing a, uh, a, a collection of some nice barrel-aged Chicago area beers as a thank you package to go back to you guys. Hey, this is going to be a silly question, but... There's nothing geographically different about beer, right? Based like where wine, like, you know, like you have like grapes from Washington or grapes from California or France or wherever, right? Like there absolutely could be. So um, depending on where ingredients are sourced from, and I'm speaking not as someone who is an expert in beer at all, but like um, there there's like some fundamental ingredients that are in all beer everywhere. But like water, for example, in the Midwest could be entirely different than the water that they're using in California and to enough of a degree where it would like, it would add different characteristics to the, to like the end result of a beer. So yeah. Hmm. And then okay. hops, things like that. So um, if people are using all locally sourced ingredients that are, you know, unique to a region, then yeah, it, it will, it will yield a different result in like Maine than it would in uh, Seattle. Interesting. Yeah. Seriously, like I didn't think about that. I said I know grapes, you know, or like, oh, grapes in Italy tend to be whatever, more blah, 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 or, you know, some shit like that when you're talking about wine. Well, and you think about like, because I mentioned barrel aging beers, um, there's something unique to Chicago that, that other areas might not experience. And so like, this is something that's really nerdy. Goose Island um, makes the Bourbon County stouts, um, and they probably have the biggest... Um, barrel aging program of any beer company that exists it's just massive and so they have this huge warehouse in chicago where they barrel age their beers and they specifically don't temperature control the warehouse and and for anybody who's familiar with chicago in the summer it can get up to 100 degrees and the winter it can be like negative 20 and so the barrel aging process experiences the extremes in temperature that chicago does which is makes it unique to the aging process for Chicago that like a California brewery wouldn't be able to do unless they really went out of their way to like recreate that experience. Right. Yeah. Cause it never gets anywhere near that cold. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. And I guess temperature does have an effect. Yeah. So there you go. Hmm. The more, you know, do, 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 do. I don't know. I find that, I find <laughs> that if you have, all right. I find that if you have a soda, if you have a diet Coke, you went and bought it at the store and you yeah. put it in the fridge and you took it out and for some reason didn't open it and left it out overnight and put it back in the fridge. It doesn't taste the same. Oh. Like not as good. So maybe Goose Island would be even better if they temperature controlled their fucking aging. They Well, and that's the thing. I don't think they've ever tried to. So like <laughs> maybe they should. Um, yeah, maybe they should. Maybe they should at least give it a shot to like, you know, for, for the sake of um, – experimentation there's a Listen, is goose island that good or is it just that they're like the biggest microbrewery in the world like that's the um, real question here's what i'll say from from the beers that i have tried that uh, that are like the the barrel aged stouts and stuff which is what their bourbon county thing is is most known for um they have a very consistently good uh product whereas like um you're going to some of these other like uh, you know, other breweries that are mm-hmm. less consistent have smaller barrel p- 
programs, less experienced people doing the barrel aging and stuff like that. The quality is, is less reliable. Um, so you will find, I mean, like there's some, there, there's tons of breweries that like, um, do way better than goose Island, but, uh, goose Island. I think the thing I like about them is that when you open up that bottle, you can count on it, it being a good quality product. Like every time there's Avery in Colorado is a, is a brewery. I think that does the same stuff. Like they're very consistent Lagunitas, um, not necessarily for barrel aging. So like there, there are breweries that have like established themselves to a, to an extent where like, you mm-hmm. know, you're getting a quality product no matter what. And then the other ones, you're kind of rolling the dice. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank so, you. Yeah. Every time JR and Diana come up, like, I end up explaining beer to you. It's it's a it's a it's a weird co- like consistency. I still don't want to drink it, but I do think that, that some of this stuff is pretty interesting. So it's fa- there's a, there's a I, I started listening to some beer podcasts and oh God li- yeah yeah I know <laughs> some of it's fascinating. Some of it is just like uh, there's so like uh, recently in the last week or two a ton of just super high quality beers have been released in the Chicagoland area. And, uh, in, in, you know, years past, I would be lining up for every single one of them and running around and spending tons of money. And I did, I did buy some beer, uh, this past weekend, but only because I had never tried it before. I passed up like a handful of beers that I know that I would really love to have. Um, just cause I'm kind of getting worn out by the whole thing mm-hmm. and goose islands bourbon county is releasing black friday which is you know three days away and i just don't even have the energy to think about it right now i mean yeah i, I remember it was a black friday just two years ago where you're standing <laughs> in line somewhere for yeah it was two years ago yeah i lined up at binnie's oh my god man, i will not uh, do that again <laughs> that is uh that is hilarious. Um, I will. I work in retail. There will be no lining up for me as I will be at work for long hours um, this coming Friday. I know that in your uh, your current uh, people know you work in retail, but in your current position, I imagine it's going to be a regular old day for you. Are you even working? Uh, I am. So thankfully, my company does not open on Thanksgiving Day, which is amazing. Um, and I believe it sounds like yours won't be either this year. Correct. Um, so they realized that it's stupid to do that. Um, yeah, it will be a crazy day for everybody in the store, but me, cause I sit in the back doing office stuff. So it'll just be like any other day for me, just with less people bothering me. Cause they're going to be running around crazy helping people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. well, um, that's it. Uh, hopefully you listeners all have a great Thanksgiving, Rob. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, get to reading that book. It's a little long. And then, uh, so <laughs> yeah, what we're doing is we're taking, we're taking next week off, um, in order to read this book. And we did do three, three in a row. So we're going to, um, we're going to interlude next week, which means it's going to be, um, it's like six days of really not giving it any thought, a seventh day of trying to think of some stuff and then winging it for 45 minutes, which is, uh, how we've yeah. done our last umpteen interlude. So, uh, you can look forward to that next week. Yeah. So that's going to wrap it up for, for this episode until then I'm Rob Olson and I'm Livia Snudden. Happy Thanksgiving.